0: Welcome to the Climate Chronicles podcast by SkySpecs, the show where we explore the latest wind and renewable energy trends, industry expertise, and best practices that can help us deliver the most efficient energy generation in the world. Let's jump into the latest episode. Welcome, once again, to SkySpecs Climate Chronicles podcast, where we explore some of today's biggest issues facing the renewable energy industry. I'm Sarah Lights, head of marketing here at SkySpecs, and my co-host for today is SkySpecs Chief Revenue Officer, Josh Gorrell, And our guest today is our very good friend and partner over at PowerCurve, Nicholas Godern welcome you two. Before we jump into the Q&A portion of our show, I'd love to learn a little bit more about you both. Josh, since this is your first time co-hosting, can you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and how you came to work at SkySpecs?
1: Yeah. So I've been with SkySpecs now for about seven years. Um, I actually got connected to Danny and Tom through a fellowship program called Venture for America. Um, so been in renewables now for for some time, and uh, prior to SkySpecs, uh, I was in venture capital and, and private equity. Um, and now, going kind to of lead the the commercial team here. Um, on, a, on a personal level, um, I, I live with my partner Kelly, and um, we have a, a two year old COVID puppy, uh, a golden retriever. So he's quite <laughs> uh, quite the handful, but but we love him. Um, yeah. yeah, a little bit about me.
0: Wow. Awesome. And I heard, uh, you just had some exciting news in, in your life too.
1: Yes. We just got engaged. (laughs) So I'm in the midst of wedding planning. So it's almost like a a second job. Um, but so 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 yeah, thank you. Looking looking forward to it. Yeah.
0: Awesome. And, and Nick, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your journey to Parker?
2: Yes, sure. So, um, in some ways, my career has been very boring because I've only ever done wind energy, but that's also great because I love it. So I, um, I graduated, um, from university and then for the last, uh, 12, 13 years now, I've been working wind energy. So I started off with Vestas, like, like a lot of people in the industry. And I, um, I spent uh, quite a few years there and, uh, and loved it. It was a great company. But then I sort of wanted to try something a little bit different and moved into, uh, consultancy, but still with a focus on aerodynamics. So I was looking at things like, um, racing cars and drones and other things like that, which was, which was really fun. And then about three and a half years ago, I joined Power Curve. So I actually found out about Power Curve because, uh, Neil's just called me one day. So he, he'd read a paper that I'd written while I was at Vestas on, uh, leading edge erosion. And it was exactly what, what Power Curve were focusing on. So we got chatting and, um, Really hit it off, and um, yeah, after that, decided to to make the move, and it's been a really great few years uh, working here. And so, I split my time between Denmark and the UK. So, home is UK, but home is also kind of Denmark. So, I, I like having that um, that split in my life. And I'm uh, I'm married um, to Mia, and and we really enjoy traveling around together, but no COVID puppies. Um, and we've been married to a while now, so no engagement parties either. <laughs>
0: <laughs>
1: awesome! I hope you well, still race race cars and, and drones.
2: Uh, so I still I still kind of keep up with what's going on in those fields. I think aerodynamically, there's so much interesting stuff going on. And um, as you you may have seen with some of our recent LinkedIn posts, about our PowerCurve, we've been playing with some pretty interesting concepts for the vortex generators. They're a little bit
0: inspired by these other industries. Awesome. awesome. Thanks. Um, well, a couple of like getting to know you fun questions that we like to do, um, especially, Neil, since you like to, t- or Nick, since you like to travel, um, yes. if you could live anywhere in the world, where would it be?
2: It's a very good question. Um, I'd, I think I would have to go to New Zealand. Um, I've spent uh, a long time in New Zealand with, um, with me on holiday, we spent a few months there in total, travelling around. So we we loved the uh, the hiking and the outdoors. We love the food, we loved the culture. It's um, it's just a really lovely country. So I think I think that would probably be at the top of the list.
0: What about you, Josh?
1: Gosh, we were just talking about this a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I love. Michigan in the summers, um, like Traverse City area is beautiful. Um, Somewhere to New Zealand, Australia is amazing. Only been to been to Sydney once, but was was awesome. And also love love San Diego too. All good places. The warm the warm weather.
2: Yeah, So, so yeah. Several apartments it seems. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah. <laughs> I know. I feel I'm like nomadic. I need to like move around a lot, and yeah. I like to see see new places.
0: Yeah. So maybe a boat and then you could just keep traveling. There we go.
1: A houseboat. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like you have to go now.
0: Um, You know, I I actually think I would probably have a boat or a plane or something so I could just keep traveling. My problem is I think I fall in love with everywhere I've been and everywhere I travel, (laughs) except for maybe a very few exceptions. Um, And then everywhere I go, I'm like, oh, I think I should move there. And then I travel (laughs) somewhere else and I'm like, oh, I think I need to move there. So I think that's, that's, that's I mean, kind of my problem. I
2: mean, you, you mean you're traveling well this year, so you're enjoying yeah. it. So it's great. Yeah.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. So um, if you could have coffee with any historical figure, who would you choose? Nick, I'll have you go first. Thanks. Well, for start off, I wouldn't have coffee with anyone because I don't drink
2: coffee. <laughs> um, so I'd, well, I'd probably uh-oh. I'd probably have a cup of tea. Okay. Um, I mean that's quite British anyway, right? And I would actually have have the tea with uh, with another British aerodynamicist. So um, there is an aerodynamicist called Hermann Glauert So a little bit German sounding actually, but it was a British aerodynamicist. And he was he was incredible. He was such a great mind. Unfortunately, he he died very young. He was only um, I think forty or forty one when he was he was killed in a, in a in an accident. And he was he kind of set out. What um, we now know as modern blade element momentum theory, and that's kind of the foundation of all wind turbine blade design. And I think it would just be fascinating to to talk to about that and, and his other aerodynamic interests, but also to kind of go back the other way. And I think you'd find it fascinating to see how how wind energy was doing you now, because wind energy back in the you know twenties, thirties, when he was working. Kind of non-existent when we think about it today. So
0: yeah, I think that'd be a fun discussion. That's a really good one. It is. <laughs> yeah, Josh, do you want to go?
1: My answer is a lot less interesting. Kind <laughs> <laughs> of like me. To... <laughs> I was just reading a, a Dale Carnegie book um, on on Standard Oil. Um, so yeah, maybe like Dale Carnegie, and then kind of more recent. I'm a huge Barack Obama fan, so definitely. Obama. And I also heard a rumor that he has a place in Ann Arbor. So hoping that I run (laughs) Um, into him.
0: (laughs) Yeah.
1: Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. And butter him over for dinner. Get (laughs) him on the 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 podcast. Yeah. Here we go.
0: Yeah. We got, we know some people maybe. We could try.
1: Yeah. Here we go. Climate change.
0: Yeah. Exactly. All right. So, um, last fun question or fun-ish question, is there something that really annoys you? It doesn't have to necessarily be about the industry, but it could be about anything. Josh, I'm going to have you go first this day.
1: <laughs> Switch it up. Um, or, you, know, <laughs> you know, on planes, like when when you land, and then some people like get up and just jump into the aisle, start like running forward. <laughs> it's like, we're not going anywhere. Come <laughs> on. I just, yep. I just got back from, from a trip last week and that came top of mind. So. Yeah. Yep. That's a good one. Yeah. Got to agree with you on that one. My mind's perhaps
2: a little sillier, but I was thinking of it the other week when I, when I went out for dinner and um, I, I love fish. I love a really nicely cooked piece of fish, you know, some at a restaurant or something, but sometimes, you know, you get this beautifully cooked piece of fish and really nice crisp skin and then they serve it and they they pour a load of sauce all over it, or something. and You have this beautiful piece of crispy skin that just dissolves into, you know, some flappy mess in front of your eyes. So that—that's my pet peeve. Um, <laughs> I think so that, thats the silly one. On the professional one, I always have a professional one, and that is that. Um, just this endless perpetuating of, of myths about wind turbines. Like you know, you, you hardly have to to mention the word wind turbine, and some will come out. Oh, I heard that, you know, they've killed more birds than, you know, anything in the whole world. And and come on, well, surely we're past this. There are facts that, that prove otherwise. So, yeah, perpetuating winter by myths and fish skin. So that might be.
0: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Not bad. Uh, speaking of winter and myths, I heard a, a crazy one. The first time I've ever heard this before, just recently, um, one of my one of my colleagues said that they heard recently somebody said, "Oh, I I, I don't know about uh, wind turbines because I think they mess with the weather because they redirect wind." And you're like, "That is not how it works at all." Um, and I I just could not believe it because this person, the same person, like you know, wants to move away from coal and all this other kind of yeah. stuff and but then they're afraid of of wind energy. So I feel like you're you're definitely right there Nick. There's so yeah. so many myths.
2: It's it's frustrating but also in some ways I think like the industry kind of needs to take it as a call to action right because if these things are perpetuating well then maybe the industry needs to work even harder to to get the kind of right publicity and, and communication out there that the opposite might be true. <laughs> so Yeah. Kind of like, kind of totally. We'll see. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I agree. Yeah. We have some exciting news in the states with hopefully the new bill that's passing here as well, so I mean that should help on the development side and I think with it right it's all the all the p r and um definitely feel like we're taking steps in the right direction, but to your point Nick there's a lot there's still a lot of myths out there, yeah yeah all
0: right well now for now for the fun stuff um <laughs> And Nick, for the for the listeners who aren't familiar with PowerCurve and, and what you do, can you explain uh, a little bit about what you all have been up to?
2: Sure. So, um, PowerCurve are a, a Danish company by origin, but we are very much a, a global provider of some um, solutions. We have a sales representation and, and work going on all around the world, but fundamentally, we're, we're an aerodynamic solutions provider to wind energy, and. That kind of takes two paths. The first is um, aerodynamic upgrades for blades, so um, add-on devices that can improve the performance of a wind turbine, such as a, a vortex generator, or maybe reduce its noise, uh, such as a, a trailing edge That's that's the majority of what we do. But um, in the last couple of years, partially driven by by uh, COVID around the world and, and limiting some of our infield activities, um, we've been building up our Uh, advisory and consultancy services. So we spend a lot of time uh, helping OEMs and operators understand their assets and and making them better. In terms of installations, we're now up to, uh, I think it's around 750 installations uh, around the world with our products and chatting to one of my colleagues earlier and he was telling me that at last count, every year the add-ons that PowerCurve have installed are generating enough additional electricity to power around fourteen or fifteen thousand average European homes. Which I'm really proud of. That's think That's wonderful.
1: Yeah, that's that's amazing. Um, Nick, can you explain a little bit on like kind of the the aerodynamic upgrade side? Um, so maybe just a little bit about kind of like what a vortex generator is, and are these things that kind of come on the blades like when they're installed or are they added on like after the fact? And what's kind of like the the value props there as well? I know I kind of just asked you three questions in one, but.
2: No, <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's okay, so we'll work through them. Um, so yeah, let's start off with um, Vortex Generators and other add-ons. Uh, they can and are installed in the factory for brand new blades, but they're also uh, installed as retrofits um, when the turbines have been in service for, for a few years. Um, Power curve focuses on the retrofit market simply because we we're not tied to any uh, OEMs. so it's very difficult to to get our products on manufacturers. The, the OEMs generally have their own uh, design teams and and products. So the reason that add-ons are there are to improve blade performance, and the different kind of add-ons you have have different functions. So a vortex generator. Um, typically, it's there to increase the power production of the blade. And you can then maybe split that into two things. So you have vortex generators that are there to improve uh, like the baseline performance of the blade. So you, know, you have a blade that leaves the factory, and you put some VGs on to improve the performance of an area that it was difficult to improve, uh, just with the shape of the mold. But then the other path you can take with VGs um, is to use them to recover lost energy that's being lost. So whenever you have a blade that is being eroded or damaged or degraded in some way compared to this kind of shiny blade that leaves the factory, you can use vortex generators to recover a lot of the lost production due to this degradation of of condition. So VGs have lots of uses and then something like a serration. That's quite difficult because it doesn't really have any impact on power performance, but it can reduce the noise of a turbine. So they're like a little teeth, and they would sit on the blade and, and reduce the sound that's been generated. So they can be very powerful because if you have a micro-noise like constraint, the operator may be forced to curtail a turbine at certain times, whereas if you have a serration, it may mean you can run the turbine more or harder um, without surpassing that, that noise level. Um, is that two of your three things? Was there another one?
1: Yeah, so I guess just on that, like quant- so like quantifying that uh, as, as well. So like- oh, um, yes. Yeah. yes.
2: So I think, um, yeah, with the serration of value proposition, it tends to be regulatory driven, um, but sometimes there's some AEP benefits you can get out of it, like a curtailment situation. When it comes to vortex generators, um, you're looking at that trade-off between the, the installation cost and how much extra energy the vortex generators will will give you. Now, in our experience, uh, you're typically getting a payback period of only two to three years on that investment. So if you were to put a power curve bG system on your turbine today, two or three years later, you'll have paid back all of the installation costs, and then for whatever remaining light of the turbine, you might be getting two or three percent extra annual energy production. so it's it's pretty compelling, to be honest.
1: And I'd imagine with these operators that continue to to grow their, their portfolios, those gains really, really add up too.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And I kind of think it's one of those things that um, you're almost crazy not to. And, and things like a vortex generator, um, they've been proven now. So for many, many years, You know, all the big OEMs are using them anyway. So I don't think there should really be any question marks over whether they, they're effective. they effective. They definitely are. Uh, often it's about just all the, um, the internal hoops that people might have to jump through to get budget and mm-hmm. O and M time and all the rest of it. But from a business case perspective, it, it seems blindingly obvious most of the time.
0: Um. So. So Nick, too. For for those of uh, the list, our listeners who are new to the industry, can you explain a little bit more about AEP loss and why it's something owners and operators should care about?
2: Yes. So AEP is one of those. Um, acronyms that you kind of hear on a daily basis in the industry and um i was actually asked not that long ago by someone i was in the industry what, what it what it actually meant and it is annual energy yeah. production as you were just saying so if you if you lose it that's really bad because the energy that you thought you would get from your turbine you're not getting and, and there's lots of reasons why you might be losing energy from your turbine each year and um, it may be you know, climate conditions or maybe blade condition or this problem in control. You know, there's all kinds of things that will lose you energy. But from what we see, one of the really dominant ones is the condition of the blade. So when you have a blade that is brand new from the factory, you're pretty much always going to see the expected power curves. Uh, the aliens do a great job of building their turbines and they're very good at modeling them. So out of the box, they tend to do what you expect. However, as soon as that blade is out in the field and seeing real world conditions like uh, dirt, thugs, ice, uh, that erosion starting to happen due, due to rainfall, you start to see a, a reduction in performance because the, the flow over the surface is being uh, disturbed and it's not as, as optimal as it was before. So, a lot of turbines we look at might easily be losing a couple of percent AEP and energy production each year just because the blades are, are not in the best shape you know, they're a bit dirty or a bit eroded. So 2% on, on a wind turbine could be thousands of dollars of electricity every year. So even though it sounds like quite a small number, um, you're going to see it on your bottom line on the revenue um, really easily. So you know you add that over 100, 100 turbines on your farm and a few farms, and suddenly you could be looking at hundreds of thousands, millions of dollars of lost energy every year. From something as simple as a blade being a bit dirty. Yeah.
1: Hey, cool. So, what in, in those cases for leading edge erosion specifically, what does the remediation uh, look like in terms of what are the operators doing to when they do have erosion and, and bugs and, and whatnot on, on the blades? Yes,
2: you know, so we, we kind of see there's the be three main
1: approaches.
2: Um, there's uh, upgrading the blade with some, with some add on devices. Um, such as VGs, which we can talk about a bit more in a second, there's uh, a leading edge repair or this kind of a leading edge uh, cleaning of the blade. So all three, uh, so the the leading edge repair and cleaning are trying to make the blade look nicer effectively. Uh, And the vortex generators and some other add-ons, their focus is on actually recovering the losses. So if you put some VGs on, on a blade, they're not going to stop the blade getting dirty. Uh, but they are going to recover the energy that's being lost due to that blade being dirty. So if you were to clean the blade, you would see an increase in performance for sure. But it may be that a matter of weeks or months later, that, that blade is dirty again and it starts losing performance. And the same with the leading edge repair, you know, that that's kind of happening at a fixed point in time. And then degradation may continue after. So you say kind of see a combination of all three approaches, but at um, um, curve, we spend uh, a lot of our time focusing on on a VG approach because we feel that as a, a robust method that you can kind of stick on and forget and just keep recovering energy. It's a really nice uh, approach. But, of course, you still have to look after the structural health of the blade. So if you start getting structural damage that um, may affect the integrity of the blade, you clearly need to do something that – what we see is that a lot of blades can be kind of moderately dirty or a little bit eroded to the point where no one's kind of thinks anything's really necessary. It's not structural risk, but they're just losing energy every year. And that sort of really common situation is where BGs come into their own because they'll recover those losses uh, without, without
1: having um, a big
0: effect on anything else. So along... Oh go ahead. Oh, go ahead. No, go ahead, Josh. Go ahead.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I was going to ask a little bit about um, uh so another acronym, so LEP leading edge protection that a lot of these uh, a lot of the operators are adding to the blades. Um do you know uh much about that? So I, I believe it's like a tape that a lot of the, the companies are adding to the to the leading edges.
2: Yeah, so there's there's a few quite a few different LEP solutions now, leading edge protection solutions. You tape is one of the older ones um, still on a tape being used. Uh, there's paint solutions, like um, kind of shock-absorbing paint, basically to, to take the impact energy out when, when rain hits the turbine. Uh, you have shells as well, like kind of uh, various degrees of hardness or softness of shell. So there's lots of different solutions out there. And I don't think there's kind of one common acceptance of what is the best approach. But one thing you always have to consider with LEP is that it will have obviously an impact on the aerodynamic behavior of the blade because you're you're kind of changing the shape even if it's fairly subtly. So that combination of it affecting the shape of the blade a bit and the fact that they all have different uh, lifetimes and and properties means that it's not necessarily an easy decision to make for for operators, but there's some very good products out there uh, for sure. But let's say we had a perfect LEP, so you, you get no more erosion ever, the blade will still get dirty, it'll still get contaminated, mm. and the LEP won't stop that. So that's why I think if you're looking at um, a real-world blade situation, it's good to consider those three things I mentioned earlier. So LEP, sure, but also maybe some cleaning and most definitely some, some add-ons that are kind of keeping that performance at a higher level for longer.
0: So – um this kind of like wraps everything that uh, that we've been asking you about, Nick. But uh, I know we mentioned at the beginning that, that you're a partner of ours. Can you and and Josh feel free to step in too? Um, tell us a little bit about the partnership between SkySpecs and and PowerCurve and and what we're trying to solve.
2: Uh, yeah. Do, do you want to kick off, Josh, or should I? Yeah.
1: yeah. Um. So I guess just kind of at a at a high level for for listeners too on on SkySpecs. Um. And we so we started off in the in the drone technology space and uh, became the one of the world leaders in in blade inspections over the course of the last last five years. And we've since developed our Horizon Renewable Energy Cloud Platform and really to help help operators understand the the health of their fleets. So a lot of stuff that Nick is talking about, so helping them understand how to increase performance. Lower operating costs and ultimately manage manage risk. And obviously, our inspections are are a key key input of that. And we're really looking uh, to work with Nick and, and the Power Curve team to take all of the the, um, the work that they've done on aerodynamic modeling and um, morphing that with with our drone inspection data, and um, really helping our our customers get a handle on um, looking at AEP loss. Specifically at um, at leading edge erosion and giving them a tool to ultimately help uh, make better repair repair decisions. Yeah, definitely, and I think you know we've been working
2: together now for over a year, it must be. And um, yeah, from our perspective, it's just wonderful to be to be working with such a high tech, innovative professional group of people. It's um, it's been a real pleasure, and I think what we're seeing now is is the fruits of our of our research together because SkySpecs has this, this incredible uh, data set uh, that is getting bigger all the time working with all these leading um, operators around the world. And I think what, what we identified at PowerCo many years ago, since, since our founding is that there's, there's a very clear link between damages such as erosion on the blade and AP loss. But I think really up until now, it's been very difficult to answer the question as to, you know, what, what's, what is that link? Like, what's the kind of magnitude of the losses we're talking about from different kinds of damages and, um, and levels of, of erosion? And I think now with the, the data we can get from the drones, you know, we have so many pictures, so much good resolution on, on those images. We've been able to, to really start to, to make that link. So instead of just having, your, your damage report and your structural assessment, what we're able to do now is use all of this data to give a, a turbine-specific AAP calculation. So all of these things that are on the blade, maybe they're not so severe structurally, but they could be costing you quite a lot of performance. And that's the whole basis of what we're, what we're doing here. It's linking the structure and the aerodynamic together so that you can have a structural risk and, and let's call it an aerodynamic risk.
1: I, th- I think too. One of the, the the big challenges that we've seen in the industry is with the explosion of all the inspections and the inspection data. Uh, a lot of the the operators now have a very long or big backlog of of repair work that they have to do. We've seen repair budgets go go way up, but in some cases, it's it's many years, and so they need tools um, to really help them. Um, plan and uh, manage and prioritize their, their repairs. And so I think working, working with PowerCurve and, um, and then collaboratively, with, collaboratively with, with our customers will help them make better data, data-driven decisions.
2: Yeah, I think that's, that you, you were talking about optimizing repair budget. I think that's, that's really key. And one thing that we've seen um, in our work together in, in the pilot we've recently completed is that you can take a site um, you know, quite a big sign let's say 100 turbines, and you know they're all the same turbine. They're normally seeing the same climate conditions, and yet you look at the blades and the degradation levels and the damages between them can be completely different. And if you just look at a structural classification, maybe you see, okay, basically all the blades are Cat 2 or Cat 3 as their worst damage. So, so how do you know what to fix first? It's not, it's not obvious. And what we we're able to show is that through this calculation method we're doing in the AP loss analysis tool, there's these big differences in AP loss. So one turbine may be losing 1% a year due to its damages, but maybe another turbine is losing 2% or more than 2%. So suddenly, even though you don't have a strong motivation to fix any particular turbine first, with this kind of analysis, you say, well, clearly I should fix these ones that are losing me more money, uh, prioritise my budget there, and if I do that, you know that's going to make me so much more revenue over the coming year that otherwise just would have been. Oh, well, it's an unknown loss, right? It was no one, no one knew that was happening.
0: So, what do you think that this, the potential of this partnership, is in the future? And and how are are is SkySpecs and PowerCurve tackling the problem of AEP loss analysis different than others in the industry?
2: And so, our focus from the very beginning has just been to build a very flexible platform, like a modular platform. So it can be very straightforward as we gain new knowledge uh, to plug new stuff into the model. And I think one really interesting thing is as we start to build up more data in the system, and let's say an operator uh, has this analysis done every year for a few years, suddenly you're going to start being able to pull out trends from this data. So a one-year snapshot. Um, is great for this optimizing of repair budgets that, that Josh was talking about. But as you start to do it year on year, you're going to see how your, your wind turbine performance is degrading. And that may well influence how you plan on in the future or how you budget for a new site and, and all these kind of things. Um, so that's one thing that, that I, I definitely see some value in um, as we go forward.
1: And one of the, one of the other areas, too, is uh, in in our drone inspections, we're able to pick up if there's a uh, missing uh, auxiliary component so if the vgs are damaged or missing serrations or, or, or dino tails um and being able to to work with with power curve to be to be able to determine the the impact on the, those damaged auxiliary components
2: yeah exactly and I, I guess a little bit later we might get into some more of the mechanics of, of how we do this but yes i think if you You've got a great model of the blade to start with, which we do. Then yes, you can start plugging on all these extra things, and yeah, maybe one missing BG thing that's getting hit by hailstones not such a big deal. But but when does it stop being a big deal? And again, this is a question we can answer. You know, if you've lost a meter's worth, is that then worth doing the repair?
1: Yeah, and and, and Nick, one of the things that we've heard from customers too is in a lot of cases they have budgets and they're making investment into lep or to yeah. performance add-ons and um but again it's it's a limited budget and they need to make the decision what turbines which sites they they prioritize for for these so i also think that that is a, is another key key component
2: yeah yeah for sure because i mean some of these operators have have you know bigger walks and you know being able to prioritize that low hanging fruit you know if you can identify a group of turbines that is going to Really benefit from say a vortex generator install, and that's the kind of thing we can do with with this approach. That's hugely powerful because even if they want to put BGs across their entire fleet, we all know that that's not possible from a budgetary uh, situation, and, and not something that's going to happen overnight. So yeah, that prioritisation to to maximise their their revenue is is uh, crucial.
0: So Nick, how are you able to get the blade data that you need to make this analysis work?
2: Yeah, so I think um, one of the I guess it also leads into that uh, question about the um, flourishing know, di- differentiating ourselves. But
1: mm-hmm.
2: we build a uh, a really detailed aerodynamic model of the turbine in question. So every turbine, uh, let's call it an aerodynamic signature, they all have additional aerodynamic signature. Yeah. So the blade shape is different, the design philosophy is different, the airfoils are different, and that means they react in a different way uh, to the same erosion. So you might have a I turbine these with the exact same erosion as a GE or a Vestas, but they'll have different losses, different behaviors. So I think one of the important things about our approach is we are using a real blade model, and we, we obtain data for that blade through a number of sources. There tends to be quite a lot in the public domain, um, even through things such as patents. But also, we can go out into the field with, uh, with a laser scanning device, and through a laser scanning process, we can obtain uh, a nice point cloud uh, of the blade geometry. Um, we're not going to detail actually capturing the erosion itself, because that's very fine-grained, but the overall bulk geometry of the blade. And by capturing that, we can build ourselves a CAD model. And then that, that CAD model, that 3D model of the blade, can be used to drive all the subsequent uh, aerodynamic analysis after like a deep dive.
0: Well, this has been really interesting. I have another like future question for you guys. <laughs> <laughs> um, what do you think uh, Blade OM technology will look like in five years?
2: Yeah, <laughs> so it's <laughs> <is> a really <laughs> tough question because stuff, stuff is changing so quickly. I mean, I think yeah. the, the data-driven approach, uh, mm-hmm. I think, is just going to get even stronger. You know, all this huge amount of data we can collect and store and process. I think that is just going to be uh, such an important thing sort of, for these big organisations and operators to, to make decisions from. So I just think that's going to start dominating. Um, You're kind of seeing the build up now, but I think it will just be that that will be the way to do it. Um, and I also see you know things like inspections. Wow. I can see that becoming fully automated. So whether it be internal or external drones, robots, I, I see that going fully automated. Not necessarily for carrying out actual repair work on the blade. I think you maybe might see some like uh, robotic assistance, but I think we're probably a little bit further out in five years to start seeing uh, fully automated, say, blade repairs. But um, yeah, being so you know, proven wrong there, but I think it may be a little bit longer time horizon.
1: Yeah, I think too, like the exciting, all the stuff we're talking about here is about efficiency and optimization. And that's super exciting for for the industry, and especially with O and M costs that will continue to to go down over time. Even from a repair standpoint, being able to make the best decision every single time, I think that is absolutely critical. Um, even in the the, the U S. here, um, says the Department of Labor, uh, wind turbine technicians and solar technicians is the fastest growing job through through 2030 how do we help scale, scale the industry and provide standards to the technicians and the operators? So we're all, um, kind of making, making the, the best decisions. So I think we'll see a lot of, um, kind of technology and, um, optimization that, that helps out the, the field work. Um, and then on the, on the blade and inspection side, and kind of hit it on the head. I think we're, we're starting to see, um, really the, um, Tons of innovations on the internal and inspection side and um, which is which is key and, and being able to do that at, at scale, I think that'll go go a long way in, in the next five years.
2: Well, what I really hope is that when people uh, start to talk to us about this AP loss analysis approach, they'll think, oh wow, this is something I thought was five years away. And and I and I honestly believe that's the case. I think what we're doing now with with this data set is is really innovative. And I, I do think um, That we're we're some of the first movers. There's a few other approaches you you can take to this that have kind of been suggested. There's a few papers out there, but they tend to focus on fairly generic approaches to the problem like we'll assume a rainfall and based on some rainfall and some of the climate conditions, this is how much the the blades are eroded. But that's such a huge assumption. And what we're seeing in the pilots we've been working together is that, like I mentioned, all the blades on the same farm can look completely different. So the fact that we're using real images, real data, we're building a real model of the turbine. I think this is really groundbreaking. So we're kind of breaking away from all these assumptions that you know every turbine looks the same, every turbine behaves in the same way. We're just we're just not doing that. We're we're not guessing this stuff. We're building the models and we're we're doing the engineering.
0: Awesome. So. So, Nick, can you give us a little sneak peek into what's next for Power Curve and, and share some of the new technologies you're working on?
2: Yeah, sure. Um, I mean, this is certainly one of the, <laughs> that's probably at the top of our list, but if we, <laughs> we go down a little bit, um, we've been working very hard on some new vortex uh, generator geometries. So, a vortex generator um, in the wind industry tends to be a little triangular fin that just sticks up particularly from the, from the blade. And vortex generators have looked kind of the same forever in, in the wind industry, and um, they look the same in aviation and other things. So we've been working very hard to so, say, well, let's, let's rethink the vortex generator. Let, let's keep the benefit of the VG, so the recovery of lost energy or the boosting of baseline performance, but how do we do it better? And what we kind of suffered on was we want to keep the same... Let's do improvement. If we dive a little bit, the on argument so keep the same lift improvement, but reduce the drag of the VG itself. So anything that's sat on the blade has, has a drive component. So we want the VG to work really well, but the air not to notice it's there quite so much. And um, we've actually come up with this really unique shape. I think we're calling it the dragging scale uh, VG. Um, and if you look on LinkedIn on, on the power curve feed from uh, a few weeks back, you'll see a what I think is a really cool photograph of this uh, dragon scale vortex generator, which is, it is a vortex generator, but it's kind of not a vortex generator, as, as you might know it. It's not a triangle. <laughs> it's, um, it's a multi-element aerosol as, as kind of cooperating elements. And the wind tunnel testing has been super exciting. Uh, we see some really big increases in the lift to drag ratio with this technology. And um, we've currently just finished a a trial installation in Denmark on a two megawatt turbine where we're going to be testing it out for real in the field. So, yeah, that's that's something that um, is super exciting about over the long
0: So are there any questions that you wish we would have asked you? And if so, how would you have answered it?
2: Well, that's, that's really difficult. That's really, really difficult. First, I you've asked some great questions, so, so we're, pretty, we're pretty well covered. But um, Good. I, one thing that I'm asked quite a lot is um, if, if vortex generators are so great, if we take one out of them, if EGs are so great, uh, why don't all blades have them from the factory? Like Why, why aren't they just there? And I think that's, that's a really interesting question uh, because it does make you think quite hard about the aerodynamics of, of what we're doing. So, there's kind of a, an easy answer and there's a harder answer. And the easy answer is that technology changes all the time, right? So, it was difficult to simulate and model vortex generators 10, 15 years ago because the computational powers was not what we have today. And that certainly played a role in why even some really big blades um, that were benefit from VGs don't happen from the factory and they've been fitted later. So, that's, that's one reason. The second, the, the harder explanation is that when we talk, talked about BGs earlier, we said they could be used for kind of two main things: to, to boost the baseline performance of the blade or to recover losses. So if you think about recovering losses, well, that means if you have a brand new shiny clean blade from the factory, technically there shouldn't really be many losses. So if you put vortex generators on the blade, they, they do have a dry component, as we said, uh, and they kind of maybe won't find anything to recover. So, if you have this perfectly clean, polished blade and you put vortex generators on, uh, towards the tip of the blade in particular, you probably wouldn't see much, uh, if any, gain in annual energy production. So, you can imagine as an OEM, it might be quite hard to justify to a customer why you were putting this extra component on the blade um, that doesn't really do anything. But that ignores the fact that the real world is not a shiny, clean, polished airfoil. And even from a few weeks after installation, that blade will probably have a bit of erosion or some dirt on it or some bugs on it. And suddenly, a vortex generator can recover some losses out out at the tip of the blade. So that's kind of the harder explanation that I think for OEMs, it maybe can be a little bit of a difficult sell. Because who wants to talk about a turbine losing energy, right? <laughs> Particularly not if you're selling that turbine. So that's um, that's I think a really interesting topic of discussion and one that um, we spend a lot of time discussing with our customers. You know what BG does and why it does it and, and the best uh, time to put it on.
1: Hey, what what does what does installation look like? Like how. How do they how do they do it and um, I'm also curious like is it does it come in like a big long strip or yeah so um,
2: power curve our, our vortex generated panels are on are on strips kind of like uh, a foot or two um, in length uh, but other other companies have Vgs that have kind of more individual fins so it doesn't it doesn't make a great deal of difference to what the product does it just changes the installation method so for our products power curves. Uh, we use, um, a wet structural adhesive. So you would get upon the blade probably by rope access tends to be the most cost effective. You'd mark up the blade where the VG should go based on our, um, designs and installation manual. You would sand and clean the blade where you're going to glue them on and you glue them on. And that's, it's kind of as simple as that, really. Obviously, you've got to be careful with your curing times and your surface prep and all the usual things, but it's, it's not a very complicated process. So. To give you an example, if you had, um, let's say, a 100-meter rotor, like a, a typical rotor diameter, you should be able to install a, a full blade worth of VGs
1: uh, in under a day uh, on one blade. So not a particularly time-consuming process. Have you been up tower, rope access, dangling by a rope? <laughs> uh, I've been on a nacelle. Okay. I've been on yeah. a nacelle,
2: but very thoroughly tied on. <laughs> Um, <laughs> I haven't been down a blade that, that seems a, a little bit beyond my. Yeah. Mind. That'd be the
1: next, next level.
2: <laughs> yeah. I mean, I've seen technically they'll go up on, on the hub and they'll go like, you know, from often a cell run. I, yeah. You know. that okay.
0: <laughs> All right. Last two questions. I think we'll, we'll see. We might have some more there, but we'll, we'll try to keep it uh, short for you. Um, Nick, if, if there is one piece of advice you could leave your colleagues in the industry with, what would it be?
2: Oh, the the pressure on the whole industry now. But <laughs> I, <don't know. laughs> I, I would say that you you should you should keep your focus on doing everything you can to maximize blade performance because you know the blade is the start of the entire energy conversion process from wind uh, to electricity to ultimately revenue, which is what the operators care about. So anything you do to a blade uh, slows down that whole chain as energy conversion and value creation. And I think it can be really frustrating. And I've seen this in some OEMs where they say, OK, so show me the, the business case for this technology. And you say, oh, well, I think it'll get 0.2% AP. Oh, well, we're not doing that, it's not enough AP. But the problem is that it's really hard to find big gains uh, and often unrealistic. So if you find a small gain, Find another small game, and another small game, and another small game, and, and keep that focus on optimization and trying to kind of claw everything you can um, from the, from that potential. And then you will end up with something exciting. And that's, that's a philosophy that we certainly take at PowerCurve. Um, even if something is a small game, don't, don't just throw it in the bin. Use it as the foundation to find another one, and keep developing and optimizing, because Everything you do on the blade matters. It affects all loans and all revenues. So, so I would say just um, keep, keep looking. There's always something to find, as we saw with this dragon scale, VG.
0: That's great. All right. I think this is the last question. Um, <laughs> where can listeners find you online?
2: Uh, so I'm, I'm on LinkedIn. I have a, a LinkedIn profile. Um, also, Power Curves uh, has a website, powercurve.dk. It's currently undergoing um, quite a big facelift and, and redesigned. So uh, a little bit later this year, a couple of months' time in the autumn, that website will be relaunched and you'll be able to see the full range of products and services that uh, we offer. At the moment, it's, um, it's very much focused on our, on our upgrade components um, and VGs in particular, but um, yeah, particularly the last couple of years, there's so much more we've been doing, such as this this great partnership with Strycebook. So we're going to relaunch just so customers can really see everything that we can do to help them.
0: Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been a really great conversation. I've certainly enjoyed it. Um, and Josh, thank you for the, being the co-host today. <laughs> it's
1: been great. Yeah, Nick, appreciate everything. And we're uh, super excited to continue to, to work together and take the partnership to, to the next level. And um, yeah, it's been fantastic working with you at, at clean power. And um, I think there's a, a ton of, ton of opportunity for, for us.
2: Great. No, it's been an absolute pleasure to, to join you both on the, on the show today. And um, like you say, Josh, I think our partnership is, is really exciting. There's such huge potential for what we're doing. Um, So, yeah, I I just
0: can't wait to see what the next few months hold for it. All right. Thanks for listening to this episode of Climate Chronicles brought to you by SkySpecs. We hope you enjoyed it. If you did, please subscribe to our podcast so you can be the first to know when we release the latest episodes. If you really liked it, make sure to give us a five-star review. See you next time.